Hey everybody, it is a warm April 7th, way after midnight, and I'm out walking my cat. Yes, my cat. I have him on a harness, and um, he loves walking the neighborhood. Tonight, I'm thinking about uh, magic inside of a fantasy role-playing game. My particular uh, subgenre, again, is a deeply pre-modern fantasy world. It's deeply mythical. It is pre-enlightenment. It is not sophisticated. It is anti-modern. All of the rational, scientific mindsets and vocabulary that permeate uh, our world are intentionally absent in that fantasy world. And so how the magic system, how all things supernatural are handled in the game uh, are of paramount importance. The magic is the single most important element with regards to keeping that subgenre that we want. The opposite end of this is a highly modernic uh, fantasy subgenre. Uh, again, think of World of Warcraft as uh, a, a very obvious, popular example where everyone's running around doing magic constantly and it means absolutely nothing there's nothing significant going on uh, or with board games uh, miniature war games um, it's just numbers you're casting spells and they have certain numerical effects uh, whether it's damage or bonuses or healing whatever so uh, we have to keep in mind what our goal is here. If, if you want this kind of uh, fantasy experience, the um, pre-modern uh, primeval fantasy experience, it's, it's the world of, of myth, but it really doesn't accomplish much to give these descriptions about how you want magic to be perceived in the world and then to keep the same um, methods and mechanics that are commonplace with, re with regards to your magic. And so uh, there are several changes that need to take place, I think, in order to generate the feeling that we want in our fantasy subgenre, that mythic, mysterious, frightening feeling. I believe that magic should be first and foremost rare, significantly more rare than we're accustomed to in our role-playing games, and that it should be restrained, that in comparison to what uh, we're used to with D&D &D or um, the other role-playing games out there, is that all of the spells need to be dialed way back. The notion of people running around th throwing little nuclear bombs, um, it, it just it ruins the 
fantasy subgenre that we want. Even if you're not as extreme as I am on the feeling of Beleriand from Silmarillion or the feeling of Middle-earth, um, that's what I want the most. Even if you don't want that as much as I, I've observed that a lot of people want something in that direction. They, Whenever they approach fantasy, they really do want something in that ballpark. So let me address Rare, first of all. Um, probably what is the best move for your campaigns is for the player characters to not have any magic, period. Now, the problem with that is players really do want to have magic and have spellcasters, and I'm among them. I love playing spellcasters, but even if you do have some of the players in the group as spellcasters, you can still keep the rare element going by saying that the rest of the players, or even that spellcasting player, uh, have no experience of other people in the world being able to cast spells. Even massive cities, even if you have massive cities in your world where thousands of people are congregated, you can set it up where none of them have any spellcasters whatsoever. In my own world, I do away with the idea of magic schools, magic colleges. I do away with temples, have spellcasters inside of them. I, I may have temples, but there's no, there's no magic going on in there per se. Similarly, you can have the idea of magic items being um, almost non-existent in your world. And what this rarity move accomplishes is to, in a very practical level, um, make it special. If something is everywhere, if, if magical swords are as common as the grass, then th they're not special anymore. They have lost something. If a magical amulet is sold <laughs> in a marketplace or magical potions or you name it, all of those take the supernatural and they pull it down into the mundane. And that damages the feeling that a lot of us are after. So having magic be rare um, really increases the feeling of it being special. So whenever people in the world observe any magic from any source, the reaction of awe and fear and wonder then makes sense because you're seeing something that never happens. It would be like us today, 21st century, walking around and seeing a miracle of some kind. I mean, that is just 
that would be stunning to us psychologically. Several years ago, when they did a remake of the um, horror movie Carrie, they did uh, a little stunt set up in a coffee house where um, a teenage girl um, is sitting at the table and someone bumps her table, knocks her coffee over, and she gets furious and uh, screams and uh, gestures her hand out. And they had rigged uh, some thin wire um, where the guy ostensibly gets uh, levitated and thrown against a wall and held up there and then dropped to the ground. All right, so imagine that you are in the right vantage to witness that event and you're not theater savvy. And for at least uh, a couple of seconds, the conclusion you draw is that she really did it, that she really forced him up against the wall with magic. And imagine what that would do to your psyche uh, in that split second when you believed it. This rarity also opens the door for it truly being unknown. The way it is conventionally is that in worlds where spell casting is ubiquitous, everyone knows the different kinds of spells that can be cast, and everyone has an idea at the table. The players have an idea, usually, uh, eventually, <laughs> the players will have all of the spells memorized. You play a system long enough and you're going to know all of the spells. The word spell is a replacement for the word miracle, but it has made it so mundane that it's lost that specialness. But <clears throat> if you have magic being really rare in the world and you see someone perform um, a miracle, you have no idea what else they can do. And so rarity, uh, again, is paying off because it's, it's filling anyone who observes it with trepidation. And this segues nicely into restrained magic. This is so important because, again, it shapes the world. It alters the world. If you have a world where people are levitating, where they're flying, turning invisible, throwing fireballs, if they can teleport like they're on Star Trek, if they can raise the dead, if someone can be grievously wounded one heartbeat and be virtually perfect the next with a touch of a hand, the world is altered. Your genre is altered by the fact that you're allowing that to happen. Let's look again at invisibility and 
that how how you handle that really changes the feeling of your campaign. If you have a world where invisibility is not uh, an outlandish event, an, an absolutely extraordinary, miraculous event, then if I turn invisible and I walk into your camp and I am going to, let's say, steal or assassinate someone, in that context, everyone in the world was like, okay, we have someone who's invisible here, let's start detecting them, or let's start casting our spells to make them visible. There's no fear, really. I mean, there may be some fear of the disadvantage, but imagine your horror at the concept of someone invisibly walking into your home or walking into your town to cut your throat. Everything surrounding invisibility in that latter paradigm where those things simply don't happen, it's psychologically earth-shattering. And that's a richer environment if you're leaning toward this uh, deeply mythical feeling where the supernatural is deeply significant. Because again, we don't want a Marvel superhero fantasy world in this case. I mean, if you want that, great, but it's a very different animal than what I and many others are aspiring to. We really do want that feeling of wandering through a Middle Earth or Valerian environment where magic is special and uh, dangerous and frightening. This, the mere presence of a magical being stops everyone in their tracks. And that's the feeling we want. And that's why restraint and mystery is such a useful tool for this endeavor. We, can, we should have a broad range of spell casters and the effects of them casting these spells. Perhaps they get exhausted. Perhaps it physically hurts them or physically hurts people around them uh, randomly. I think back to the movie Excalibur. Merlin has a line that says, I had to sleep for nine moons for what I did for you with regards to cast a spell on Uther to make him look like his enemy. Things like that are really interesting and they add texture and they bring in the, um, the uncertainty and the fear of using magic. And this is um, vital to keep that a secret from the players, even the casters, that they, um, they may come to understand that they're running a risk and they may have a hint of the types of risk, but they don't need to know what those risks are specifically. When magic or spellcasting is bound up with gods or spirits or demons, we should 
more deeply integrate the personalities of those beings with the spells and with the spell casters. With regards to demons especially, they are evil entities and their capriciousness and their malice should come out into the open so that a caster as he is drawing his power from the demon may um, without his consent cause damage to other party members or perhaps some spirits are simply fey they don't care about mortal considerations and perhaps they even abandon the caster from time to time I'm not suggesting that it needs to be um, a crapshoot every time a spellcaster wants to use a spell. What I'm saying is that we should have a huge spectrum of possibilities with magic. Some spellcasters, let's say, can only cast a spell if they do a long ritual and perhaps by long we're talking about 10 days worth of preparation following very strict guidelines perhaps um, they can only cast spells if they're standing in direct sunlight or the opposite they have to be in absolute darkness the range of things should be endless and as a GM, you're doing a great service to the to the other players by consistently inventing uh, these types of variations so that they can never just sit back and say, oh, I know how this goes because I can read on page 314. Here are all the parameters. And so I want to do this thing. I mean, that's just that's the other game. It's a very different game than the one we're playing. We want to be in the perspective of our characters. We don't want to be looking down on them like a board game. This this is the kind of game that I want when I play. With Undead and Necromancy, the mere presence of an undead creature should terrify everyone. I recall another fantasy novel I read where there were animated skeletons attacking and one of the characters was nonchalant. As a matter of fact, he was less worried about skeletons than just fighting uh, the other bad guys because he said something like, well, they're, they're weaker, they're just a bunch of bones. Essentially, he shrugged off the existence of skeletons in the same way that is conventionally done in role-playing games. We know their stats, we know that they're considered weak undead, and we know how many hit points they have, whatever. And that's the paradigmatic difference between the two different games being played and in the different genres. You have two things going on. You have the subgenre difference 
where the presence of any undead by itself is horrifying. And that horror comes into play. The presence of a moving skeleton makes people run away. And that's that's the big difference. And with regards to our method of play, so we should not view a skeleton as a, a series of, of stats and numbers. The magic surrounding an undead within itself is a, a terrible presence. But if the people in your world react to spells with awe and fear and uncertainty, that will help you push into this deeper uh, fantasy subgenre that you're wanting. GMs can have a significant impact on the player's imagination by how you represent information about magic when it affects the players. If you look at the uh, the common paradigm of, okay, the wizard is casting this spell against you, roll to resist it or to make your saving throw against it. If you step back and look at that practice, it, it seems very gamist to me, very uh, board gamey, miniature war gamey to me. If we alter that method and, uh, well, let's take, for example, um, being bewitched by some magical force or some kind of a sorcerer bewitching the mind. The way that that can be represented offers a rich environment for the imagination. So let's do a contrast. Let's say you have a, a group of players walking up a hill and they see a, a, a hut at the top of a hill. In, in the first instance, the mage walks outside and the GM says, okay, he casts a charming spell on you. Or even he, he doesn't identify the spell that explicitly. If, let's say that he comes out and he... Um, cast a spell or gestures and so forth. Everyone make your saving throw or your resistance roll against that. And let's say that the, the party fails. So then the GM says, all right, um, you're now under a charm spell. You cannot harm him. You uh, must uh, treat him as if he's a friend. And that's probably the the way it's handled the majority of the time. The other way to handle it is very different, and it really does unify the players with their characters in perspective. So now, players are walking up the hill. The mage is casting a charming spell on the whole group. He's bewitching the minds of the group to make them... Um, react as if they're friends. In the latter scenario, the GM does not intimate anything about magic. He decides if the party fails against this bewitchment, and let's say that they do. 
Now the GM rolls that effect into the descriptions and into the narrative. So the GM now portrays everything about the mage as someone that the players like. And if the GM does this correctly, um, you can really um, pull the players into a mindset that makes the players like this mage NPC. They don't know he's a mage. They simply see a friendly, harmless old man who may be funny, he may be charming, he may be sad. He is whatever the bewitchment uh, accomplished uh, against the minds of the characters. And if you do things like that, you are unifying the player to character and you are generating a much more relatable experience for your players. All right. So those are my thoughts for the night. I hope you've enjoyed. Please share this with your friends and comment with me about any of these topics. Thanks. Good night.